Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. Of all the public structures impacted by the conservative takeover of the North Carolina General Assembly in recent years, few have experienced more in the way of sustained controversy than the UNC system. Time and again, Republican appointees on the UNC Board of Governors and campus boards of trustees have sought to micromanage academic affairs in an unprecedented fashion. The latest example? The recent call from the UNC Chapel Hill Board of Trustees for the establishment of a School of Civic Life and Leadership that would be dedicated to employing conservative faculty. Recently, in response to this announcement, Chapel Hill history professor William Sturkey authored a powerful essay in which he explained the folly of the proposal. And earlier this week, Sturkey sat down with me to explain his concerns. Well, William Sturkey, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Thank you so much, Rob. It's really great to be here again. So, William, there's been a lot of controversy in the UNC system in recent years as conservatives have taken control of the Board of Governors and campus boards of trustees, particularly Chapel Hill. And the most recent such incident involved a subject that really moved you to write an essay for NC Policy Watch. It concerns this rather sudden recent announcement that the uh, Chapel Hill Board of Trustees, that they were calling for the establishment of a school of civic life and leadership, which sort of sounds pretty non-controversial when you first hear that descriptor, but you dig a little deeper and there's a little bit more to it than maybe initially met the eye. So maybe you could tell us about how you and other faculty members even first found out about this proposal. Well, I think me, along with many faculty members, found out about it during the Board of Trustees media blitz that immediately Hmm. followed this proposed civic school, which, you know, look, schools are created at universities all the time. It's just that schools are usually created at universities involving the people that work at said universities. So this was completely out of left field for many people. And now there's sort of this explanation that, that, you know, it actually came from the faculty, but it started off in the media as this sort of right wing, you know, spiking of the football We're going to create a special place where our views, our people's conservative views can be discussed openly because a lot of them have been convinced through different publications like the Martin Center or College Fix or or listening to Fox News that conservatives cannot voice their voices on campus. And so that misconception has led them to believe that there needs to be a safe space where conservative students can learn from conservative faculty who are, who, who are going to be selected for their political beliefs, which again, contrary to popular belief, that's not something that actually happens among the regular faculty at UNC Chapel Hill. Right. So the whole I mean, thing was just confusing and it didn't really make any sense. And we learned about it in the media. Yeah, it sounded like there were almost like conflicting explanations of why it was happening. It Maybe it had come from the faculty or maybe it was a response to that uh, nefarious liberal faculty, or maybe maybe it was a response to students expressed something in a survey at one point that they felt that they were somehow stifled. But I thought the essay you wrote for Policy Watch kind of debunked that notion. There was a survey conducted a couple of years ago, and the survey was designed basically to go out and see how students responded to prompts about free speech and open inquiry. Can students discuss ideas openly on our campus? the students answered the survey in a way that I think the designers didn't expect in that they didn't care enough to take it. Only 11% of students, predominantly first-year students who are going to feel more uncomfortable discussing topics anyway, took the survey, but they found something that was quite surprising. 
They overwhelmingly said that professors do not push their political beliefs on students. They also overwhelmingly said, those few students that did take it, that conservative and liberal voices are balanced in our classrooms. I don't know what other people think we do in college classrooms, but we're not just sitting around discussing hot button political issues like they do on cable news networks. Like we're talking about biology and we're talking about the space race. We're talking about how to write history and how to go to archives. We're not having these cable news political debates all the time. So I don't understand why people think all of our classrooms are so full of just these horrible partisan talking points all the time. That's just not what our community does. We're talking with Professor William Sturkey, who's a professor of history at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So talk to our listeners a little bit more about what your classrooms are like, the subjects you teach, and the kind of discussions that often ensue when you're uh, giving a lecture or leading a discussion in one of your history classes. I teach about modern U.S. history. So we're talking about, you know, markets, financial markets in the 1930s. We're talking about World War II and the decision to drop the atomic bomb. We're talking about, you know, second wave feminism in the 1960s. We're talking about conservatism and the Reagan revolution in the 1980s. And look, you know, everybody has their own take on these different things. But my goal is to empower students to think more critically than they ever have before. And I think this is one of the things that actually happens on college campuses, that students come from high schools and churches and families where they're told what the truth is. We don't do that on college campuses. We expose them to a litany idea of ideas and allow them to invoke their own critical thinking skills to discover that truth for themselves. Now, oftentimes there's a conflict because that new truth empowered by critical thinking in higher education comes into conflict with things they've been told their whole life. And then we're accused of indoctrination from the people who have been trying to indoctrinate the students from the time they were born till they were 18. And so I think that's where one of this, these conflicts comes from. But it's also very useful political football right now to blame universities for the divisiveness in our, our culture, to dismiss any ideas that come out of universities as being liberally biased, as saying that the only reason that professors who might have spent 15 years studying something, the only reason they think that way is because they're liberals. And all we need to do is just have another alternative viewpoint and that will balance things out. But of course, that's not how the real world works. The real world isn't just R versus DIM all the time. And I think that's really muddling up people's understandings of our universities. One thing I was struck by in the essay you wrote for NC Policy Watch, it's available at ncpolicywatch.com, was you talked about the, the departments that already exist, like your history department, the political science department, the school of government, philosophy, and how this new proposal at least best as we can divine, sort of sounds like it's going to duplicate some of the things y'all are doing, spend millions of dollars. And this is at a time when, heck, the elevators aren't working too good in the building in which you teach. I've been at UNC for almost a decade. Our elevators have been out in and off for much of that decade. But there have been numerous times now where both elevators are out, meaning that if you are a disabled student and you can't walk, you cannot come to class in our building. Okay. We have serious financial problems on the campus, especially with deferred maintenance costs and whatnot. We also have problems with classroom space. I taught a class last spring that was moved twice, and we ended up with a classroom where students were all over each other. I would surmise that that is one of the large reasons that many students might feel as if they can't have constructive dialogue on campus, because we literally don't have enough seats in the classroom. So one of the things that's very frustrating to me is 
instead of trying to actually make sure we can have smaller classes and empower students to have these discussions by having them in a proper classroom setting where they all have their own chair, as opposed to doing things to support that, they're calling for the creation of a new school. I don't have the slightest idea where they think those classes are going to be held because we are packed to the gills as it is. <laughs> Frankly, I can't find it in me to respect people who are appointed public stewards and who think that they should not be held accountable for spending tens of millions of dollars of public money. Look, the Board of Trustees has power to spend millions of dollars if they want, and that's fine. They can do that. But I don't understand why they then refuse to answer to the public about what they're doing with that money or why they're doing it. And as far as I can tell, there's very little transparency, and they certainly have not answered any questions that the faculty have. So they haven't yeah, engaged the faculty members much. Do you have even a feeling for what's next or how far along this is? Is it just an aspiration from the Board of Trustees? Are they serious about this? Do you, what, what, do you all have any kind of information on what, what's happening next and when? No. I mean, one of the things that happens here is that it turns out that you can't design a new school or program without the actual people that work at the university. So now that the people that work at the university are involved, there's pragmatic questions about how are you going to hire faculty? Where are their offices going to be? You know, who's going to oversee their tenure dossiers? Who's going to oversee the committees that, you know, appoint the deans and, the, and that sort of a thing? There was such in a rush to claim victory in the conservative media that they sort of just packed their bags and went home without any questions answered whatsoever about how to actually build a new school or why we need to build the school in the first place. If you could have some say here and, and be listened to at a point like this, what would you say? Is this something, should there be an actual conversation with faculty members? Should they start over? Is this an idea just should be dis dismissed out of hand? What would you like to see happen as we go forward here? I would like to see the trustees answer questions from members of the public, including faculty, but also students and, and journalists. Because when they actually are interrogated, I think this whole thing really kind of falls apart. Maybe they have a great idea. I don't know. They have not been able to explain what that great idea is or what it will look like in any way that makes any sort of actual sense. You know, they celebrated their whole, you know, conservative safe space school or whatever. But now to actually implement it, they have no clue what to do next. And I think people have questions. William Sturkey is a professor of history at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. You can find the essay that he wrote on this subject. It's the new proposed School of Civic Life and Leadership at UNC. He wrote an essay for NC Policy Watch. You can find it at ncpolicywatch.com and, of course, find a lot about William's work at unc.edu. Professor Sturkey, thanks for your hard work. Thanks for serving our state and being with us today. And um, maybe we'll talk again uh, later this year. Hopefully this process, you'll have brought a little demand for clarity to this process, and maybe the board will actually respond favorably. Thank you so much, Robin. I just want to iterate, myself and many faculty members at UNC Chapel Hill recognize that we work for the people of North Carolina. All of our email correspondence is available to the public. All of our syllabi is available to the public. I've welcomed people from the community to come visit my classrooms when they want. So we operate in the light. And so when somebody does something behind closed doors with no transparency, that really strikes a chord with a lot of people who are actually dedicated to public service. Thank you. That's a wonderful point. We appreciate you making that. We will talk again real soon. Thanks so much, Rob. Coming up next, one of the North Carolina State Senate's most thoughtful members joins me to discuss the start of the 2023 session. Don't go away.